Hey, welcome everybody to the uh, pre-Memorial Day edition of Legal Tech Week, where we talk about the top stories in legal tech and innovation. And uh, we didn't meet last week, so uh, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about this week. I'm Bob Ambrogi. I have the blog Law Sites and the podcast Law Next and the Legal Tech Directory Law Next, also called Law Next Directory .lawnext.com. And uh, we've got uh, a full array of panelists this week, including guest panelist uh, Steve Lerner. So, Steve, let's start with you. Introduce yourself. Hey, everybody. Uh, Steve Lerner here, a senior reporter from Law 360 Pulse. Thank you for having me this week. Thanks for joining us. And uh, next up, Victor. Sorry, as I take a drink. Uh, <laughs> yeah, hi, I'm Victor Lee. That's I'm why I call it. Editor. Figured uh, for the ABA Journal, uh, handling business of law and technology. All right, and Nikki Black. Hi, all. I'm the uh, head of SME and external education at my case in LaPay. I um, write legal tech columns for. Um, Above the Law, ABA Journal, The Daily Record, and elsewhere. And I also oversee the industry and benchmark reports, and I author them that we put out on the My Case and Law Pay side of things. And I'm excited to be here. A lot to talk about today. Talk about uh, Stephanie Wilkins. Uh, hello, Stephanie Wilkins, editor in chief of Legal Tech News at ALM. I almost just said Above the Law. Oh my gosh. <laughs> ALM, very clear. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, uh, Joe Patrice, speaking uh, of above the law. Joe Patrice, <laughs> uh, who is from Above the Law uh, and the podcast Thinking Like a Lawyer. And yeah, that's uh, so I'm glad that everybody uh, is so excited about my work that they want to even say they work with me, but even if they don't. I mean, in fairness, <laughs> I used to and then moved fair. on. <laughs> All right, and uh, Steve Embry. Hey, Steve Embry here. <clears throat> I write the blog Tech Law Crossroads and uh, glad to be back. And uh, Joe, I think this is your first time back on the show since you became a father. So an official congratulations. I know the 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 uh, the baby made a, a green room cameo a couple of weeks ago yes. as we were preparing to go on, but hasn't been hasn't been on camera yet. So uh, congratulations! That's true. That's him. true. We we uh we showed up. I showed up right before the show, uh, which would have been on day one, uh, one day old, uh, to show her off to you all. But uh, she didn't want to. She didn't have anything to really say about AI that week, so she couldn't make the whole show. Yeah. Get her started in podcasting early. That's a good thing. Yeah. You can go chat GPT something for her. <laughs> I mean, oh, she, yeah. can just, she can just make up rumors about stuff. See what you do. She has to learn to talk first, you guys. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, all right. Well, last week we were going to talk about the clock global institute uh but we didn't get together last week because everybody was off in, in different directions we weren't able to do this so i thought let's pick up there with uh all of us who attended clock which would be only stephanie <laughs> i think <laughs> so uh stephanie you get to, you get to tell us all about all about the clock global institute which is especially great because this was my first clock and i'm the only one without any basis to compare it to past clocks um but no, it was, I mean, it was great. It was um, a sold out crowd, which apparently has never happened before. Um, 
lots of energy. I'm told it was a little bit less insane than the year before because, you know, people knew how to be humans around each other, unlike the last year, which was the first one out of COVID. But um, no, not surprising, tons and tons of generative AI, people literally sitting in the aisles and lining the walls. Um, wanting to hear about it. Uh, really no surprise there. I really, my two, my two big takeaways, I wrote an article, I don't know if we should drop it in or if you're going to drop it in. I feel like generative AI and the whole thing about teamwork, that was like sort of the positive path to the future of um, legal operations. Everyone was excited. The thing that really stood out to me and a lot of people too, of course, like no one like went on the record about it was there's so many CLM companies, so, so, so many. And like, all of you saw the avalanche of PR before, and it was just one after another, and everyone has AI now, and you walk through the booth and there's even more of them, and it's just like, it felt like a room full of AI-powered CLM, so everyone's just sort of speculating, can they all last, should they all last, will we see M&As, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't think feasibly they can all last, there's just way too many of them, but I'm not about to predict who won't and who will, or who might buy whom, but yeah, generally very positive energy, lots of AI. Vegas is still Vegas. We either love it or hate it. I'm in the latter, but that's about it. Yeah, I, I should, I, I, so I didn't go, but my, my son who's the producer of my podcast uh, did go and the producer of this podcast did go and he kind of went very last minute and he had, we had emailed about whether he could get a press pass and they said, oh sure, get a press pass. And then he showed up without having actually secured his press pass and they said sorry we're sold out you can't get in so he went got to las vegas and they said sorry uh but i guess by the by within a few hours they were able to get him in so i appreciate I, the, the efforts of the people who are running the the media stuff there uh to they, they uh they made an effort to, to get him in there uh, I, was gonna say, I, he, I sent yeah. you a picture of me with him yes. he was definitely there <laughs> i know no well no i was there and, and he, he actually went around and recorded a bunch of interviews that yeah. i'm going to just kind of put together into my podcast but i i mean it's just clm after clm after clm mm -hmm. and and you know i well how do you distinguish yourself well we have ai in our clm yeah okay uh, and how do you distinguish yourself you know uh it, it's really interesting listening to the interviews because there's so many people who's just you know, the short version, they all sound like they're doing a lot of the same things. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it sounded like from what I saw a really good conference and oh, yeah. uh, I hope I don't miss it next year. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely a positive experience. Um, it is obvious. I mean, it was like so obvious that it was CLM overrun that, I mean, there was no way around it. So yeah, I'm yeah. curious. I'm legitimately curious to see how they do distinguish themselves from others. Yeah. So uh, I thought it was interesting uh, looking at some of the the posts that uh, uh, articles that people talked about uh, talking about this this week because uh, you know we we've been kind of uh, uh, having a, an ongoing uh, love fest here around generative AI and legal uh, and uh, there are a couple of articles that are a little bit more cautionary uh, including Nikki your your uh, column uh, this week uh, in which you're kind of uh, warning us uh, of the potential that we are all going to be trapped in a dystopian nightmare <laughs> if we don't harness AI. So I wonder if you could talk about what you're thinking there a little bit. Well, I'm like Debbie Downer here. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I love new tech and I love emerging tech. And I think that this is the most exciting tech to emerge since, and I, 
I 100% agree. I always say this with what Gates said. You know, it's PCs, the internet, and then this. And this is truly the most, un, you know, fa fantastic type of tech that's emerged with so much potential and so much unrealized potential. And um, I came across an article by Schneier. Um, I can't, I can't remember his first name. He's the security guy who um, does tend to be very um, Bruce. Bruce Schneier. Yeah, he does tend to be. You know, he's all about you know, sort of the doom, not doomsday, but he's cybersecurity and he's kind of cynical. But I do agree with what he said in his article, um, which was, or his post, that corporate interests are going to ruin everything. And that we've seen that, I think, with the internet. The internet's just a mess. It's just overrun with SEO. You can't find what you're looking for anymore. Google's horrible. Um, Pop-up ads are everywhere. And I feel like we're entering the realm of... Um, in a couple different dystopian, some of them are like the Black Mirror, others are like, um, oh, I can't remember, um, Dream, oh, I forgot what it's called, but there's a bunch of different science fiction um, movies and novels where essentially people walk around, they're just, no matter where they go, and they always see advertising and it's all tailored just to them and you can't escape it, whether it's like implants, you know, in your head or, you know, glasses that you've got on or uh, um, virtual reality, like you can't escape this tailored advertising. And I feel like we're already sort of in that hell right now. And what he talks about is that um, with large corporations trying to figure out how to monetize this quickly, they're going to do that and they're going to ruin it. Um, and I think you already see that with all of the news about big tech suddenly deciding we need to regulate AI. Really? They want to regulate AI. They, they, they're, you know, whatever their interests are, they're incredibly selfish and not to the benefit of everybody else. You know, they're trying to make money off of this and they want the right, the exact opposite of the regulations everyone else wants, which is to prevent AI from killing us. They want to just make a lot of money off of it. So, and, and then one thing that I saw that I'll kind of close with is um, Michael Simon is uh, someone who often comments on my um, robot, uh, welcoming robot lawyer tweets. And also we commented on my LinkedIn post uh, that pre preceded my writing this article. And he talked about um, a quote from Ted Chang's article in the New Yorker from 2021, which says, I tend to think that most fears about AI are best understood as fears about capitalism. And I think that really summed it up really well. I. I I feel like we're in this brief honeymoon period and it's going to go to a hell in a handbasket a lot quicker than we think. And we better just enjoy it while we can. We're either going to die or just be caught in this corporate advertising hellscape. So the end. No comment on that. Anybody have no comment? Really? You're usually like team AI with me, Nikki. Oh, I don't know what to do. Um, we're done. It is funny though. This is not a very insightful comment, but did you hear that there's going to be a new Black Mirror season next year? And I'm like, what can they do that we're not currently doing? <laughs> right? Yeah. No, I mean, I, you know, I think I hear what you're saying and I, I read read your column and I just kept thinking back to like the early days of the internet when the internet was like information just wants to be free and this is the sort of like non-bureaucratic place where we're all going to find equality and and uh you know and and it, as soon as you know along came CompuServe and AOL and then Google and and Facebook and everybody else to destroy the internet for all of us uh, and I mean, you know, I like the the, the guy you the Bruce, uh, the article by Bruce that you talk about, I and mean, he talks about the fact that, you know, Google started out as this really cool alternative way of searching the Internet. And now it's like ruined search. I, I, you know, Google is all but useless now for searching anything on the Internet. 
So, uh, I mean, it's, it's a very real fear and, um, you know, the, the, the analogy that this is really just the problem with capitalism, not, not, uh, generative AI or anything else is, is, uh, is really true. No, and so, I do think it's I, legitimate because uh, like as much as I we still talk use about, Alta Vista. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we talk about all the tools putting in the guardrails to protect the, you know, I mean, which is good. You need them in the legal tech tools, but nobody's doing that for the consumer stuff like us. So right. we're screwed. Right. <laughs> yeah. it, it reminds me of Gordon Gecko and Wall Street. Greed is good. <laughs> well, yes, I know. I just dated myself. Yes, I know. Sorry. <laughs> like we're all dating ourselves. Don't worry. About it. <laughs> it makes me think I'm just about to date myself. Um, when you were just talking about that, Bob, George Carlin, you know how he has that license plate part skit where he talks about how, you know, like live free or die is Maine. And then like Idaho is the potato state. I feel like we're in the live free or die stage of AI. <laughs> and in about three months, we're going to be like in the potato state stage of AI. Like it's going <laughs> to happen so much faster than it did with the internet too. But we'll see. I hope I'm yeah. wrong. Uh, well, so, uh, a, a further, I guess, cautionary uh, note on AI. Uh, Steve was 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 your column, which I'm judging by the headline in the lead paragraph because I don't have a subscription to Law 360. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, it seems that uh, you know you're you're putting forth uh, the idea that uh, uh, a lot of what everybody's talking about as AI maybe really isn't even AI. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying anything most people don't already know. If you read the fine print, technically. Some of these tools just aren't um, artificial intelligence, including the tools that are being sold to law firms um, as we speak. Um, a lot of those tools fall under machine learning, which is similar, but it's a subset of AI. And it's not exactly the same thing as AI, but it's being marketed as AI. And then you also have tools that have an API with an AI tool, and they're calling the whole tool, oh, the whole tool is AI. It, the whole tool is not AI. It's just using some third-party artificial intelligence tools, not quite the same thing. And so what we're seeing is a lot of AI washing, of especially the tools that are being marketed to law firms. Lawyers and law firms may not be aware of such. I spoke to one uh, consultant who said that at large law firms that he's worked with, um, you have senior people who can't tell the difference between artificial intelligence and machine learning and deep learning, and yet they're the ones making these purchasing decisions. Um, and so that's kind of kind of what my column is about. It's just pointing out the fact that a lot of these AI tools are not quite what they seem. And so law firms need to get educated on the fact that what AI really is, is meant to be. So that way they can not only make better purchasing decisions, but keep these uh, vendors honest. Yeah. I feel like it's uh, absolutely true. And that's a huge, <clears throat> it's just an exacerbation of what we saw, you know, five years ago when you know, before generative AI, with just AI, anything that was vaguely automation-y, people would be like, we have AI. And we're like, but do you? And now that generative AI is even hotter than AI was, everyone wants to call it AI, if not generative AI. And it's just only going to get worse. So I think, I mean, that's absolutely true. People need to, and people don't understand it enough to know that that's not true. So I think it's actually yeah. a really big education point. Yeah, it's almost like it's a branding. It's almost like it's a branding thing now. Like, like, oh, we have AI. We have AI. It's like, well, because if you don't, then it looks like you're behind the you're behind the eight ball or you're behind the curve or whatever. I mean, I don't know who who was saying who who was saying this um a while, like a few months ago, but it's it's almost like when um when all the e discovery uh, companies were like, oh, we have predictive coding, or we have you know this, we have that. Because like, like if you didn't have it, then you were seen as sort of being 
back in the stone age or behind the times or that kind of stuff. So it's almost like you have to put AI in there now because otherwise people are going to be like, well, why, don't, why aren't you using AI? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? And it's like, well. Yeah, to, to paraphrase Aaron Street at the lawyerist who said one time about innovation, <clears throat> there are firms that want to innovate and there are firms who want to say that they're innovative. <laughs> it's the same thing here. There, there are a firms, a few firms that want to adopt AI but most all firms want to say they adopted AI, even if they don't know what the hell it is. <laughs> well, I, I think the, uh, oh, go ahead. Well, go ahead. I was just going to say from a software perspective, almost at the end of the day, you're regardless of what you call it, if you're solving their problem, that's what matters. So if the software solves the problem of the law firm, whether it uses true AI or not, it's solved if it uses machine learning or true AI or, you know, whatever you want to, or natural language processing. I don't know, like one way or another, if it's solving the problem, I, I don't think it actually matters whether it really is AI or not. And, um, but then the other thing is, is the firm trying to just buy it just for a PR thing so, so that they can say they bought it? That's exactly. a little bit different. Well, you can layer on top of that, that you know, <clears throat> The problem is somebody once said the problem is the problem. The problem is the law firm business model doesn't really lend itself to adopting AI to do a lot of the things that it might be able to do, except when you get into, you know, the management and billing and collections and all of that. Uh, so it's, you know, that's an even further compounding factor to make law firms just want to say, well, look, we're, we've adopted AI when they were like, you know, well, what do we want to do that for? <laughs> yeah, I, th I, I think Steve, I think Steve touched on this, but I think one the biggest concern is kind of the lack of understanding around what what is and what isn't, uh, and and what are the implications of that. I I, I spoke uh, earlier this week to a, a, a group of law librarians, uh, and uh, one of the, one of the, a couple of surprises that came out of that one is that there were several people in the audience at this group who had never heard about AI hallucinations. I mean, these are people who are information professionals at law firms who had not heard about this. Um, but but then there, the, that, that wasn't, the majority of them had, but what they were finding is that the lawyers in their firms had, and so they're getting these like emails from lawyers saying, you know, I need this case. I got it off of chat GPT and it's one of those solutions that doesn't exist, you know, uh, and they're having to explain to the lawyers in their firm, uh, that ain't how you use this stuff. Um, so it, 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 you know, there's just still an awful lot of a lack of lack of understanding of this technology. And I kind of, I mean, I, I agree to a point with what you're saying, Nikki, is like, I don't think everybody has to understand AI at all. Ultimately, there will be plenty of people in the firm that don't even need to know what technology is getting their answer. They just want to know that they're getting their answer. But the people who are actually making the buying decisions and implementing the technology to transform the workflows need to know what's hype and what's not. Otherwise, they're going to be throwing money away or they're going to be disappointed. Because, yeah, tons of users, especially like, say, the resistant, you know, senior partner, you could it could be nothing. They just want to get the result. It doesn't need to be AI. It doesn't need to be whatever. But there does need to be a level of education, both in terms of what is AI and what the limits of what AI can do are. Like you said, like I've heard stories too, Bob, where people are like, but ChatGPT gave me this case and it was a hallucinated case, like they, and they couldn't understand why. So, I mean, there's education on both ends of it, I think that has to happen. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's definitely, as you know, that's always been the problem with law firms and technology and purchasing is that the, the people that control the purchasing decisions, the partners who, don't have business training for the most part. They just generally have big books of business, don't understand the technology and 
whatever decision they make is not based on reality and they don't take time to learn. It's been my experience. Yeah. So Nikki, what's the answer to Laura's question in the chat? Uh, I mean, who, who does, you know, how do you put guardrails on this? Do you entrust some federal agency to do it or, or what happens? I just responded to, I think that is a great question. And I think no matter who's regulating it or why, or who's pushing for it to be regulated, we're all going to have their own agendas. And I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, like, isn't that the point of democracy? Like somehow democracy or the court system, you know, isn't the idea that somehow because you have these countervailing interests that at, at the end of the day, you end up with some sort of a happy medium that's for the good of the people. And in my comment, I said, for the good of not to be dramatic, but humanity, but I kind of feel like we're talking about that broad of a scale, like this could go horribly wrong and quickly. And I don't think that that's this idea of dystopia because of AI is that off base. I mean, it could happen. And so we definitely need regulation. I'm not saying there shouldn't be regulation. And I'm not saying that, um, that you're not going to have business interests pushing for certain things. I just, uh, I, I feel, I love, I'm so excited about the potential, but I'm not super excited about the reality, I think, of what's going to happen, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, uh, continuing along the, uh, I guess, generative AI thread for a moment, uh, one of the, I don't know, possibly big stories or possibly not big stories of the, of the week was Thomson Reuters announcing its kind of AI plans, AI strategy, uh, or AI lack of plans and lack of strategy, depending on how you interpreted the uh, the, the press brief. There was a press briefing earlier this week, and I I don't know if we were, I think we we're all on that call. Maybe not. I'm not sure. Um, uh, I was not. I wasn't were invited. Not there. To that one. I don't know why. Invited? I get other PR pitches from them, but not that one. Because you wrote that column about how AI is evil. <laughs> you're, you're off the list. <laughs> that face, I guess so. <laughs> Chat GPT didn't include you when they asked that who should be invited. <laughs> but they're they're uh, you know they're they're saying they're going to be uh, uh, in, investing a, a ton of money in incorporating uh, generative AI across their products, and they gave some kind of you know, static uh, uh, wireframe type uh, previews of what this might look like as they uh, incorporate this into uh, uh, Westlaw and, and, and practical law and, and uh, other things. I mean, they'd also announced their their uh, partnership with uh, with Microsoft to be integrated with Microsoft 365 Copilot, which actually looks pretty cool. But uh, it, it just I, 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 I felt like the press briefing was somehow premature or maybe a little hastily thrown together. And in some ways I had felt the same way a few weeks ago when, when LexisNexis had had its press briefing to talk about, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it's plans for, for generative AI and its new AI product. Uh, and, uh, uh, in, Jean O'Grady is not here this week, but she she did. I, I'm going to quote her from an email thread we had about this, where she said, "It feels like everyone is just planting flags on the LLM mountain." And I, I really like that quote uh, because that's what it kind of feels like. Uh, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? Well, it kind of ties into what we were just talking about, right? Where people wanting to slap AI on it, and I do. I mean, I don't think a Thomson Reuters or a Lexis is going to lie about having AI capabilities. That's why they've been very clear that this is coming. They're not claiming they have it now when they don't. But it is definitely becoming a trend that we're seeing with these big media briefings where it's like 
here's what we will be doing at some point because everybody has to get an announcement out there. The, the Microsoft 365 Copilot was legitimate news, and I think that's really yeah. interesting. And given Microsoft's, you know, stranglehold on legal, I think that will actually have big impacts. But um, yeah, I, I feel like it was another look at where AI might be someday at some time, which I'm sure they will get there, but they have to say it now. Otherwise, I mean, I feel like a month ago, we were all saying Lexus and Tiara have been weirdly silent about this. It's like everyone's been saying that. And they know, right. I mean, we weren't the right. only ones saying that. Yeah. I think they knew that. That's why they're saying these things. Yeah, I, I feel just, like I'll, I'll put it, pushing back and putting aside the 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 clippy news. Uh, but the um, <laughs> I, I, I will push back on the idea that this was similar to LexisNexis because the difference I felt was LexisNexis told us we've got this pilot program. A few people are in it. Not everyone can be in it, but you know, it's coming and they'll let us know when it's ready. And I thought the TR takeaway I got was, Hey, you know, we've got some ideas and we plan to spend a hundred million dollars plus on it. So like, I felt like just, and whether this is true or not, just the ways in which they were communicated made it seem like LexisNexis was closer to the finish line, whether that's true or not. That's just the messaging I thought was, was, signaling that to me one of the companies in the tr briefing i at least asked bob severe question that i asked it's always my role to ask what models are you using <laughs> and they had an answer in the lexus one i didn't even ask it because i didn't even feel like i was gonna get an answer so i thought yeah. they did actually ask, answer that in the lexus one well they had talked one about of the two it lexus the ones they said they're going to be using a mix of models they're going to be they're going to be yeah, that's what i got yeah that was the first one the second one yeah. was the one that was more confusing and we weren't sure and then yeah. you even called me out for not asking the question, Bob. So then I made sure to ask it in the TR <laughs> briefing. Yeah. But well, in fairness to LexisNexis, I agree with you, Joe, that their their briefing, they it did there did seem to be something more tangible there. And, and in fact, they were showing a kind of a working prototype, or what appeared to be a working prototype. Whereas, as I say, the, the West Law, the Thompson Reuters briefing was essentially wireframes of, of uh, it wasn't even a working uh, uh, page. It was just static uh, slides and pictures of what it might look like. Well, and one of those companies say, has invested. Sorry, one of those yeah, companies has invested in AI, and the other has not nearly as much. Like, so I think that that showed too. I, I, Lexus has been making significant investments. They've made significant acquisitions for the last five or six years, I think. And so I think that that shows. I don't. I may be missing a few acquisitions, but I don't remember in the past any acquisitions occurring that were a significant AI acquisitions. But I may. Yeah, but Thompson Reuters has invested a lot in terms of their own development of AI over the last. 20 years, really. I mean, they're, they're, they were the leader in AI and legal for, for a long time. And maybe they still are. We don't know. But I mean, they, they had their own whole well, AI research guess... thing up in Toronto. And yeah, yeah. That, I think I'm probably a little more forgiving of both LexisNexis and Thomson Reuters because this is so new. And I don't, um, you know, I, it would be hard for them to come in and say, okay, guys, here's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to do this, 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 and this. I mean, it, that's where we are with the state of this technology right now. That, you know, I'm not sure that would be appropriate or or far far thinking actually. And so, were they short on details? Yeah, they both were both short on details. But I frankly, I'm, I'm not particularly surprised that they were short on details. I mean, the Google presentation 
they were short on details, you know, I mean, so everybody, I mean, they're all trying to figure out how to make this work and, and to, to Nikki's earlier point, make this profitable. <laughs> so oh, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't taken by surprise by either one of them not being as detailed as perhaps they have been with some of their things in the, in the past. Oh yeah. I mean, I wasn't, I actually, I wasn't surprised or I wasn't upset or anything like that. I just think it, needs to be taken with a grain of salt you know it's they have to say something they're like two of the biggest names in legal tech they have to say either what they're doing or what they're intending to do and they're handling it how they should be handling it short of having a product this moment to roll out and it's been six months a little over six months i just like to always do a little bit of a a check on that because it feels to me like this has been around for years and it really hasn't like 3.5 which was the actual functional version of gpt you know that really revolutionized things was in november that it came out. Right. So Although if you talk to the case text people, they say they started working with uh, OpenAI as far back as September uh, was, and, and on an advanced model of of at least that was closer to 4.0 than 3.5. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, this has been out there for a while and this is not a, and and I mean, the, the technology has been evolving over a couple of years. I mean, it's really sort of, you know, just snowballed over the last six months, but yeah. Again, and also, I mean, based, uh, yeah. sorry, but also based on like what, like, I mean, and, and I think they said this in the, during the briefing, um, you know, when they, when they, when they saw the original, like not the original, but I guess the, the 3.0 version, they were like, eh, sucks. And, and a lot of people have said that, right. I mean, right. I think K6 people said that. Yeah, I think people, they um, said about 3.5 yeah. even. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, so yeah, I, I, I guess it's understandable why they're just like, all right, screw this stuff. This isn't worth it. We're not going to, we're not going to commit like massive resources to like watching it. But then when they saw, but then when they saw where 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 it ended, where it ended up, they were like, "Oh crap! Now we have to now we have to do something with it." Well, and I think it's interesting to Bob's point, and I mean, we won't necessarily ever know this, but like, yeah, like when we were seeing three point five when it was public, companies like Case Text were use, working with three uh, four with four behind the scenes before it was public. I don't know what gets them access versus gets Alexis access versus gets TR access. So like, until they have access, they can't be working with it, but. They're definitely these companies can and I really hope are working with these huge models before we ever see them. Otherwise, you, I mean, shoehorning them in overnight isn't really a thing. Well, and that there's size to be addressed as well. The small, if you're a small startup with four people, it's way easier to like spin something up overnight almost with a small database. You know, in case text is much smaller than Thomson Reuters and LexisNexis. So their processes and their decision making, you know, their decision making process and their decision in terms of what are we going to, you know, um, their production process and their engineering process. There's so many processes, the bigger a company gets speaking from personal knowledge coming from employee number one with my case. And now we're part of a company that has, you know, 500 plus employees, which is nothing compared to LexisNexis and Thomson Reuters. So it's much easier to pivot. You know, it's that idea of a small motorboat versus the huge tankers or whatever, and how long it takes for them to slow down and turn around or go in a different direction. Same thing. So, and you also want to use your own proprietary stuff, don't you, when you're a company that large, if you can, rather than say, we're just using this open source. No, you want it to be like proprietary. So I I think that they're going to be slower and you're going to find the smaller companies pivoting and taking advantage of it. And Case Text is particularly I think you, one of the few companies that's really uniquely poised to take advantage of it because they were already exploring AI in the context of natural language processing. Like they couldn't have been more perfectly set up to take advantage of this. Well, speaking of case text, uh, there is uh, potentially some 
they're not potentially there is at least a rumor floating around out there uh, about them uh joe you've got details on uh the hot and frothy story i was gonna say please say hot. yes i was (laughs) i was just gonna say hot and frothy uh yeah so that so earlier this morning uh business insider put up a story uh claiming that sources close to the situation that's all that they had. It was unnamed sources close to the situation were saying that Case Text is engaged in merger talks uh, being acquired by someone. The amounts involved would be, the valuation involved would be in the hundreds of millions. Uh, so there's that. Uh, this kind of makes some sense. I mean, they they went on, they, they have very savvy investors who are very good about building a company to the point where it can be purchased that way. Uh, They went on Morning Joe and showed off a real working version of AI for legal, which is a great thing to do for yourself. And, you know, there's the possibility of being bought. I think we've already in this conversation been alluding to Thomson Reuters and this article from Business Insider does too. It notes that one hypothetical buyer would be Thomson Reuters. This is the only hypothetical buyer that they identify in this article. And uh, I'm savvy enough as a reader of news articles that if a unnamed source names only one option, that's probably a sign that that's what they are talking about. So I think it's safe to assume at this point that what at least what these unnamed sources believe is that Thomson Reuters is in talks to acquire case text, which would then make a lot of other dominoes make sense, right? The Thomson Reuters seems a little bit behind, which I think is also a product of over the last couple of years, I feel as though as a company, they've been they've been in cost cutting mode rather than growth mode. Uh, so they say they're going to spend at least over $100 million. That would fit with this valuation conversation. And they'd be able to lock stock and barrel, bring in something that is already somewhat proven. So if they aren't the ones talking to them, they probably should get on the phone. So I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, did, I did actually email Jake this morning saying, I know you won't comment, but do you have any comment? And he said, "Yeah, I did too." We, we never comment on rumors or speculation about. I think we all did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is which not I a denial. Mean, yeah. Which is not a denial. This is not a denial. <laughs> a non-denial denial. <laughs> but I mean, what what incentive well, would they true. have? What incentive would they have to even comment on these rumors at this point? I mean, the, that I mean, the, the Business Insider article was so bizarre and so hot and frothy. Like for people who didn't read it, they actually use those words. We're not just calling it that. It was just such a bizarre sort of article that clearly was just like a few people have told us this they believe it's thompson reuters we're just going to publish this who knows who told them is the critical question that you're probably there i mean i mean sometimes you i'm sure you all get you get those things sometimes where you're you've got you know you've got some sources and you're you're pretty darn confident that they're probably on to, that they probably know what they're talking about and you really want to report it but you're not 100 percent confident so you can't report it so 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 you write something like <laughs> a hot and frothy piece like business insider did or something which puts it out there so that when it if it does come true then they, then they get the credit for ah they had it they knew well it definitely seems suspicious <laughs> people don't I think it struck me as strategic. I'm not sure strategic on whose behalf, but I don't think that kind of thing just gets tossed around without thought ahead of time. So, yeah. 
But also, I, I mean, also feel- talking, talking is also just talking. I mean, who knows where that yeah. goes or where, at what point in talks there might be, you know? Yeah. Right. And I also feel like not for nothing, uh, not to make toot our own horn here, uh, but, you know, th- this was a uh, rumors that weren't brought to us. They were brought to Business Insider, which you would think if you were trying to play the legal tech game, uh, as you would talk to at least one of us, uh, given that it went to Business Insider, uh, entity that has more relationship with the broader Silicon Valley world, one wonders if the issue is you know, TRs in talks and has this going on. And uh, hey, people who are more generally into tech and maybe not legal tech, but want to be in legal tech, you know, the bar has now been set. This is on the market. You should start, you know, like that sort of thing. Uh, because if it were just an inside legal tech baseball thing, this is this is the room they would be talking to, one would think. Well, and that goes in line with what we were saying about how, you know, in case text, because, I mean, they legitimately were first out of the gate with the GPT-4 product. They went on the Morning Joe, which you never saw legal tech on Morning Joe. So if there was a single legal tech company that non-legal tech might have heard of, it's probably, I mean, other than a Thomson Reuters or Alexis, and they're one of the other parties in this story, you know? Yep. Yeah. And Har- Harvey's been getting a lot of sort of non-legal press uh, true, true. as well. And and in all of our conversation just now about LexisNexis and, and Thompson Reuters, I, it stupidly never occurred to me, Stephen Lerner, that <laughs> Law360 is owned by LexisNexis. So you may not have had any comment on any of this, but uh, do you, what, are, what are your thoughts on, on, on case text on potential uh, acquisitions there? Any, any insights there? I mean, it's it's interesting. Um, how, what was the price tag? A hundred, about a hundred million, right? That's what we're talking about here. Did it say? I think 100 million is the number that TR said they intend to invest in AI. Was that wasn't the that's, number? That's their that number. The article the article said the valuation would be in the hundreds of millions. So whatever that means. Less than two months ago, Thomson Reuters, as you know, made a they sold Elite for about 400 million dollars. So they have the cash yeah. to do something like this. So maybe that's just the the plan all along: sell that off and to try to buy this. Yeah. Um, I mean, Joe and I were talking about how, I mean, tech-wise, it would make sense for them because we feel like they do feel like, or maybe are behind the ball. I mean, they're trying to play catch up on AI. Now, I've talked to other people that do not agree on that, but Joe and I think from TR's perspective, that would make sense. Sorry, Joe, just bringing you in with me. Yeah, go ahead. Why not? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm so fascinated by the case tech story. Cause I mean, I was, I covered them, I think since the start. I mean, they started out as a whole different thing. I don't know if anybody remembers that they started out as a sort of attempt to sort of crowdsource, uh, you know, create a, a crowdsource legal research platform. Uh, and, and that kind of, you know, that didn't really work out too well. And then they pivoted a little bit here and pivoted a little bit there and made a couple of turns in the, in the early days. Uh, but but then really started to to find a course uh, where they just kept coming up with these really innovative ideas and, and uh, you know I, I mean I've written about this, this the fact that it was it, it sort of changed the whole dynamic in some ways at least in the legal research world where for years it was always LexisNexis and Thomson Reuters leading innovation in legal research and then suddenly it was this little little startup leading innovation and then you know they would do something and then Thompson Reuters and LexisNexis would both follow it and Bloomberg Law would both you know follow what they had developed starting with Kara on forward 
So uh, I, you know, uh, they they deserve to uh, sell out big and uh, you know uh, re- buy an island in Tahiti or something and retire. <laughs> yeah, that, that bad acquisition party is going to be epic. Yeah, yeah. Um, I hope they invite us. Uh, maybe they'll do it at double A double L. I mean, that's coming up soon is double A double L. And of course, that's where lots of announcements get made. Uh, just like uh, just like clock a couple of weeks ago uh, in the corporate legal space in, in the world of uh, legal information uh, and, and, and legal research, double A double L is the place where where announcements get made. Uh, just finally got my press pass. so I'm looking forward to it. And uh, that'll be a fun conference. Um, uh, so (laughs) we've got some, uh, we've got some non, uh, believe it or not, we have some non-generative AI, uh, stories we can talk about, uh, here. Uh, uh, one is, uh, Victor, uh, you've got a story about, uh, law school, uh, doing something a little bit innovative, I guess. You want to talk about that? Yeah, well, uh, well, this is the this is a pickup of a Reuters uh, story. They were they were the ones who reported it, but um, you know, yeah, I mean, there was uh, the William and Mary Law School, um, uh, well, the William and Mary Center for Legal and Court Technology. They partnered with a California-based hologram company to test hologram witnesses and mock, mock trials. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know if the same company that does that, that does holographic Tupac and holographic like Michael Jackson those and those uh, folks, but. But no, it's it's an interesting kind of adaptation of sort of like what we've been talking about before all this generative AI stuff, uh, you know, came about. Just the idea of like, you know, remote remote trials, uh, and whether or not you know those are going to, you know, what to what degree they're going to continue after you know even after you know everything goes back to normal and whatnot. And you know, I mean, I think one thing that they were saying was that like, you know, obviously there's still a confrontation clause issue and whatnot. And and there's you know price as well and and and, and a, a lot of big a lot of hurdles to clear. Um, also, I think they also said that like you know there was there was a question as to whether or not um, the testimony would be considered you know we, 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 you know whether it's whether it's more effective to, you know, for someone but you know to, for, for a witness as far as like their you know whether or not how, how they're how they're received by the jury and, and whether or not they're 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 believed and whatnot. But just you know, from a convenience standpoint, it's 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 sort of a it's sort of like the next step up from uh from from the video from those um you know video remote conferencing and whatnot. And it, it's an interesting it's an interesting potential potential um you know use of the technology. But yeah, we're still probably quite a bit away away from from you know seeing lots of holographic you know folks in courts. But it's that but it's interesting it's interesting it's an interesting thing. And I, I just thought it, was, it, it might be a nice change of pace, like like something that didn't have to deal with. Although I guess there are ways you could you could you could integrate you know um, um, the techn- you know generative AI with holograms, so then then we'd all be screwed. But <laughs> well, to quote Nikki, it's all a simulation anyway. So it is. <laughs> I mean, it's no, the I- kind of thing that I get super excited about. I mean, I don't know the feasibility of how affordable it is or how widespread it could be, but I mean, I'm I'm happy to be in Nikki's simulation. <laughs> Is it is this something where the witness is is live somewhere else testifying, and you're just seeing you're seeing the projection in the courtroom? The witness isn't in the courtroom, but it's not like a recorded thing or or a simulated thing, right? It's it's the actual witness, but but being the holographically. Yeah, I mean they, yeah, I mean, they would have to respond. Into, to, 
they would have to respond to questions. They'd have to be examined, examined by the yeah. lawyers, you know, directed across and whatnot. So, I mean, there would have to be some element of, of, um, and, and plus I would assume that that'd be a competition clause nightmare if it were, if it were recorded, um, cause, cause, you know, there are all kinds of rules as to whether or not, you know, when you can use depositions instead of, instead of live testimony. I mean, we saw that with the Trump case. Um, you know, there's a very specific definition of unavailable testify and whatnot. So, so there's, there's all kinds of, all kinds of issues that would have to be worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and we had Steve, you've got something completely outside the realm of generative AI this week. <laughs> well, well, maybe, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> sort of along the lines of the more things change, the more they stay the same. Um, yeah. LexisNexis and its uh, council leak study, link study for partner rates in 2022, shockingly revealed that partner rates went up about 4.5%, which was the biggest increase they had, <laughs> council link had since, seen since they started the study back in 2013. And they also looked at the, the what's happened in the first quarter of 2023 and rates have gone up, what, 5.4% uh, in that period of time. And the other remarkable statistic, despite all of the, the, the <clears throat> hue and cry about the billable hour finally being sunsetting, we alternative fees constitute about, what, six, little over 6% of all legal matters for the, for the biggest firms and corporations. And uh, that's been essentially the same for for some time and you know the the amazing thing about it that struck me about it is for since the pandemic we've heard a hue and cry when uh, in-house counsel have to do more with less and their law firms have to do more with less and yet here we see the same thing that's happened over and over again the law firm asks for increased rates and the clients say okay yeah. And despite despite bitching and moaning about it all the way to the poorhouse, I guess they they just say okay. And uh, you know, I uh, think it was Richard Tromaine's said here recently that you know it's it's not a game changer until the game has changed. And this to me just struck me as more of the same until clients begin to demand law firms do something different and have a different business model and decrease costs every place they can, what's, what's going to, what's going to change. Um, so it was, it was kind of disappointing to, to see this. And, uh, you know, that, that, I think it's, it makes me wonder what we're going to see this time next year of what, what happened to rates for 2023 and whether the large language models will make a difference and whether there'll be a shift or, whether instead of 4.5%, it'll be 5.5%. <laughs> and I mean, and I, you know, part of me says, well, you know, like every other aspect of society and business, law firms have been hit with increased cost and inflation's gone up and, you know, you got to make it up someplace, but there doesn't seem to be much of an effort to say, okay, well, you know, to make the same amount of profit, we, we either have to raise revenue or decrease costs. And so it looks like they've just said, raise revenue. It's okay. <laughs> as long as we can get away with it, let's go ahead. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, so I had a, I had a 
slightly, I, I, everybody's kind of taken a take about the the rising costs. And I, I had a little different take, which was when I looked at it, yeah, I mean, yes, they, they've raised costs like four, 4%, some, some of the higher markets, like 5%, whatever. But as I looked at it, all I could think was, yeah, but inflation was up six and a half last year. And it was seven the year before, which according to the council link report, the rates only went up like 2% that year. So, you know, you got two years of that kind of growth, that kind of inflationary growth and the rates haven't gone up. So like, as I saw it, I was like, law departments are actually getting a pretty good deal here. The lawyers are still below the increase in inflation. And when I think about, and of course that, that doesn't, that's kind of cold comfort for the law department, right? Because as you said, they're dealing with, uh, you have to do more with less and budget cuts and stuff like that. But I also looked in over the course of last year, the uh, corporate, the Fortune 500 profits are up like 114%. And all I could think is, is, is maybe the problem, not the lawyers, but somebody within the company needs to do a better job of telling the business side, look, you're making 114% more money. Uh, we need at least inflation so that we can hire our lawyers. Uh, because it seems to me like I, I just walked away from it thinking they, you know, lawyers are still giving them a pretty decent deal. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, my response to that would be, yeah, maybe they are, but there doesn't seem to be any any effort to reduce the costs and reduce the rates by greater efficiency. I mean, in, in a lot of products in this world, you know, you're, the, the, the product managers are looking for ways to reduce costs and they reduce costs then that means you lower consumer price and the, you get more business, right? The law business is like completely the opposite. Like, you know, like, reduce costs, you're out of your mind? <laughs> Just raise it, you know? And so it, it doesn't take into, it doesn't really challenge the law firms to say, okay, we're not going to be able to get our regular yearly increase in our rates. We have to figure out ways to be more efficient and yet make the same amount of profit, whether that's increased revenue, increased business, or whether that's a way to cut costs. I mean, let's face it, if, if the large language models, models can take the place of 50 associates, I mean, that's a huge cost savings, right? So uh, there doesn't seem to be a lot of thinking along those lines. It just seems to be like, let's just, you know, Boy, we had a lot of inflation. Let's raise, let's really get them this year. <laughs> I think it's like a TBD though, right? Because I think we're at a tipping point. I don't know if you guys have gone to the grocery store, but recently I went to the grocery store and when we got the bill, now that my kids are back home, I almost fell over. I can't believe, it was like a 500 plus dollar bill. And it was not even obscene amounts of groceries. I couldn't believe it. Like inflation is out of, it's off the wall. Like it's out of control. And I think we're at this tipping point, both like at a, just sort of, something's got to give both in the legal space, you know, the inflation's off the wall and corporations are making so much money. Now you've got this like technological force that's coming through. That's going to change the playing field somehow. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I feel like we're like, uh, I mean, when you go back to the simulation, like someone's stressing the simulation so hard just to see like, what is going to happen if everything goes just off the wall? Like is civilization going to collapse? Are like, you know, are law firms finally going to stop billing by the billable hour? Like, I feel like all those things are probably going to happen at the same time. I don't know. It, it does seem like, and we've talked about this on the show before, that if anything is going to change, drive change in the pricing model, it is generative AI because it, it just, 
is not as 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 the use of generative AI expands, it's just not going to be a justification for maintaining the standard billable hour model. It just won't make sense anymore. And, uh, you know, there has to be a, a different way to bill for whatever it is that lawyers are, are doing at that point for the advice that they're giving. Um, and yeah, and, we'll, and we will like, see. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, that than you guess some of you guys are. Yeah. <laughs> Never underestimate the what the ability of lawyers to resist change. I'm with you, Steve. <laughs> I am totally with you, Steve. But with generative well, well, AI, I don't know about you guys, but I, you know, I have ChatGPT plus, and anytime I in my professional or personal life think, oh, I don't want to deal with that. I think can ChatGPT do it for me? So even today, I saved about two hours because I needed to go through and I wanted to create a um, spreadsheet of all the legal AI products on the market that I could locate. And so I basically had ChatGPT and a plugin, scrape Bob's site, scrape a few other sites, pull all this data for me, create a chart, like it created a chart for me. And then I just input it into a spreadsheet and I just had to fill some additional information around. You know how long it would have taken me to go through each of Bob's posts and then go to law.com and look at all of your stuff to the extent I could see it behind the paywall and law 360. Like that's why I went to Bob because it was all easily available. But, you know, it, legal tech you know, news is not paywalled. I, that I was, is my I biggest was, thing. Legal tech news is not paywalled. You were asking. You were asking. No, legal tech news is entirely free. It's the email registration is entirely free. Other parts of ALM are you get like the two free ones. Everything on legal tech news. This is like my biggest battle every single day. It is free. I'll scrape yours for like all the things too then. No yeah. problem. Point, but it wasn't scraping. It was don't believe Stephanie. Just keep reading my site. Don't believe she's lying to you about that. <laughs> the point I was getting ready to make about hours. If that point I was getting ready to to make about what Nikki said. She said, "Can you imagine how long it would take me?" And I would I would change the question and say, "Can you imagine how many billable hours you could have charged for doing it all yourself?" <laughs> I, I mean, that's but if you're the client, you would have paid your grocery bill. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're the client and you're starting to use this, like this is what Carolyn pointed out in her blog post, Carolyn. An elephant. It, the, the clients are going to start using this and realizing how much time it's saving them and understanding that the especially sophisticated business clients versus consumer clients that how much time they could be saving and how they're billing them for stuff that needn't be billed for i think that's truly gonna where it's gonna make things change but, jo but jo josh made a good josh london made a good point in the chat where he said price gouging and inflation are, are not the same thing and like you know, one thing that I think that based on, I, I'm not an economist, I don't understand this stuff, but I mean, based on the reports, it does look like the inflation, you know, just like, like from like the monetary standpoint or whatever, however they, however they calculate it has, has come down a little bit since it's, since it's hype. But the problem is that now companies think, okay, well, we got you to pay, you know, six bucks for a carton of milk. So let's just keep doing that. Well, we got you to pay, you know, this much money for, for this. And so let's just going to keep doing that. So it's the same thing with the law. It's just like, well, we've always gotten you to pay you know, $500 an hour for, for this, or, you know, we've always been able to charge, you know, a thousand dollars for this. And it's just going to keep going until, yeah, like something, something, something that comes, you know, until, until, until the clients, you know, just push back and be like, no, we, we can, we can, we can produce something almost the same of, of almost same quality uh, with very little drop off and save, you know, five hours, six hours. So why are we going to pay you that money when, when we can just do it ourselves? And then, you know, Eventually, that'll 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 start to you know force law firms to at least come out of their crouch a little bit. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's going to get if it's going to get rid of the billable hour. Look, we've 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 talked about this you know at length. 
the billable hours like the billable hours like 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 a super zombie. You can't get rid of it. You can't. You know, it's not gonna. You know, it's, it's every time someone thinks that, that that they've killed it, it just comes back. So it's like Lazarus. It's like you know, it just comes back. So you know, time will tell if this is if this is finally going to be the thing that kills it. But you know, it's. It, but yeah, but 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 hopefully it'll start the ball rolling to at least start that conversation in ways that like the the alternative fee agreements and the other things didn't do. But I think you the reason you can't kill that monster is because it has so many freaking tentacles out there that like even if you okay alternative fee arrangement what are you basing it on? You're basing it on some internal math that is based around a billable hour, and then also you're talking about associate compensation. Their bonuses are still tied to billable hours. How do you do that if? suddenly they're on fixed fee cases and like they still have to be tracking their hours. Like it goes so much deeper than just like the client retention that it's, that's why part of the reason that it's so hard to kill. And I want to, I'm like, I, I'm sorry. I, I volunteer as tribute to kill it if there's a way to kill it. But I, I, yeah. One of the big, one of the big problems is, you know, there, there is a segment of the legal market that does not charge by the, by the hour. And that's point of contingency lawyers. But the difference is, you know, when you talk to lawyers about the billable hour and you, you say, I'm going to reduce your billable hours, you know, and so in instead of charging 100 hours for this task, you can only charge 10. There's no way they can make that up, right? A plaintiff's lawyer can say, well, you know, I, I can do a lot less work, but I can make all that profit up because I can hit big on the on the fee. And so that's that's a real sort of systemic problem that, you know, unless we can th come up with a way to have some success fees built into the system for defending cases or doing work by the billable hours, you know, it's, it's a little problematic. But well, that was something firms experimented with back in, well, I don't know, the 90s or 2000s or something, or the sort of all value-based billing idea or success-based billing. Even big firms were doing that for a while, but... Uh, I don't know. I don't know whatever happened to that, but apparently it didn't work out too well. Um, all right. Well, there were there were a few other stories we could have talked about uh, this week. There are a couple of raises this week that uh, a few of us covered. This the Spellbook, uh, another generative AI product uh, used for contract drafting in Word, raised ten point nine million dollars. Which is a um, rebrand from Rally Legal. Rebrand from Rally, and and which interesting they say uh, they they say that uh, uh, they were the first generative AI uh, <laughs> product to launch commercially, uh, uh, whether for lawyers to launch commercially. And I then mean, the Steno is an interesting one. Yeah. Does the first word "first" in PR actually mean anything? <laughs> I know, you know. And they were um, backed by a Thomson Reuters Ventures, right? And backed by Thomson Reuters Ventures, right? Good point. That going to be uh, the new rallying cry? We were number, uh, we were yeah. the first, since everyone's going to be claiming AI. Yeah, and the Legal Tech Fund. Uh, so, and then also <laughs> yeah. St the Steno raised fifteen million dollars Series B this week. They're an interesting company that's kind of kind of a, a litig alternative litigation funding and also a, you know remote deposition platform uh, and they're looking to really get into kind of the whole range of uh, litigation support services and put them all on this sort of financing uh, arrangement where uh, you know pay pay when your case is over rather than during the course of your case to try and make uh, litigation support more affordable for lawyers so. and that was a that was a Clio involvement too there right? In, right and yeah. They, yeah right that's right they had uh Clio Ventures uh as an investor there um so interesting interesting stuff well uh I'm sure everybody's anxious to get a start on their uh uh Memorial Day weekend and uh not to mention our time is up anyway so 
Thanks to everybody. Steve Lerner, thanks for uh, sitting in with us today. Thanks to all the other panelists. And uh, uh, we, we think this might have been a record attended show in terms of numbers of people attending it live. Uh, so thanks to all of you who are sitting in here today. And uh, everybody have a great weekend. See you next week. Bye, all.